Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. In our last study in the Gospel of John, our focus was on the ministry of John the Baptist. The Apostle John was recording events that took place after the baptism of Christ, when the priests and Levites came from Jerusalem asking questions. Who was this man? Was he the Christ? Was he Elijah? Was he the prophet? John the Baptist was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. We begin again, John chapter 1. We start with verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came, baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and, seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. I read an account of a fire that had broken out in a building in England. And when the fire department arrived on scene, they learned that there was a woman trapped in the third floor of this building. One of the brave men of the fire department scaled up a ladder three stories just to save her. When he broke the window, she was hiding in the corner, and he was barely able to see her because of the thick smoke that came pouring out of the window. He called to her to take his hand that was only a few inches away, but the woman was terrified. She was in shock. She panicked, and she withdrew further into the smoke only to perish in the fire. When interviewed later on, all that this fireman could say was the words, she wouldn't let me save her. She wouldn't let me save her. The Apostle John had seen over the decades that many people would not let Christ save them. The hardness of hearts, the stubbornness of sin, backed them into a corner where they refused to take the outstretched hand of the Savior. You've seen it. I've seen it and it breaks your heart. Inspired by the Spirit of God, the Apostle John set about the important task of recording the evidence that testified of Christ's rescue mission to the men and women of this world. We left off with verse 29. Let's read it again. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember what we learned already in the Gospel of John. This is taking place after the baptism of Christ. This is actually about six weeks after the baptism of Christ. The other gospel records fill in the rest of the picture for us. Right after Christ was baptized in the Jordan River, he went into the wilderness where the devil tried to tempt him. 
Christ was in the wilderness for 40 days, Jesus had returned to the Jordan. We read in verse 29 that John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him. In this gospel record, this is the first recorded appearance of the Lord. I believe that Jesus had come to the Jordan again so that John the Baptist, the herald of the Messiah, could publicly announce the arrival of the Messiah to the nation. Remember what had taken place the day before. The delegation of Jews from Jerusalem had started a little bit of a debate by asking if John the Baptist was Elijah, the Christ, or the prophet. The Jews themselves recognized that John was sent by God, and if he was truly the voice crying out in the wilderness. This had to stir up a pretty heated discussion, not only among the people, but also for their leaders in Jerusalem, because this meant that the Messiah of Israel was about to reveal himself to the nation. Skip ahead a page or so if you would. There's a little detail in chapter 2 that sets the stage for the events in our text. Notice verse 13. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. At the point of our text in chapter 1, the Passover was just days away. This is part of the absolute beauty of this passage and the timing of God the Son to reveal himself to the nation. The expression, the Lamb of God, would have right away brought to mind the idea of the Passover lamb. You remember the account from the first 12 chapters of the book of Exodus. The Passover was the annual celebration when the Jews remembered how God had delivered them from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. Around 1500 BC, God called Moses to lead the Jews out of Egypt, but Pharaoh refused to let them leave, and so God sent the ten plagues onto the Egyptians. It was the tenth plague when God sent the angel of death to destroy all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. But the angel of death passed over, which is where we get the word Passover. The angel of death passed over those Hebrew households where the blood of a lamb without blemish had been sprinkled on the door lintels. Stop and think about the reality of this. In every household in Egypt that night, there was either a dead lamb or a dead firstborn. It was only after the 10th plague that Pharaoh allowed the Jews to leave Egypt. But it wasn't just for the generation of Hebrew people living in Egypt. Listen to the words of Exodus 12. You shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service that you shall say? It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. It was a command of God for the Hebrew people to celebrate this act of salvation, this act of deliverance from Egypt by holding a festival each year, which they called the Feast of Passover. Each household was to sacrifice a lamb without blemish each year during the Feast of Passover. This lamb was known as the Passover lamb. And so here is the connection with our text. When John the Baptist referred to the Lord Jesus as the Lamb of God, John was testifying three things about Christ. First, John was testifying that Christ was the Lamb without blemish. Just as the Passover lamb was to be a lamb without blemish, so it is that Jesus was the lamb without blemish. His was a life of spotless purity. He had no sin. He was a man who had no sin of his own to atone for. Second, the lamb offered protection. The blood of the lamb protected the Hebrew households from the wrath of the angel of death in Egypt. 
Jesus, the Lamb of God, offers us protection from the effects of our sin, which leads to separation from God. Sin leads to eternal death. Third, the lamb was sacrificed for guilt that was not his own. Just as the Passover lamb during the 10th plague in Egypt died in the place of the firstborn, so it is that Jesus died in our place for our sins. As John the Baptist put it, Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Passover lamb was slaughtered each and every year, but Jesus, the lamb of God, would die once and for all to deal with the sin of the world. No further sacrifice was needed, as the writer of the book of Hebrews testifies, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. It is the Christ, the Messiah of Israel, who offered himself as the sacrifice on the cross during the Passover. This is why the Apostle Paul would tell the church at Corinth, for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Put yourself into the scene taking place in the text. The Passover was approaching. As John the Baptist spoke these words, flocks of sheep would have been heading to Jerusalem with their shepherds for preparation of the Passover feast. Think of how John the Baptist introduced Jesus to the nation of Israel. He went right to the heart of the greatest need for the people of Israel and for all the people of the world. We need a Savior. We need the Lamb of God. The Messiah is only directly referred to as the Lamb twice in the Old Testament, twice in the Gospels, only once in the book of Acts, and only once in the Epistles. But in the book of Revelation, he is referred to as the Lamb 28 different times, giving us this great picture of the sacrificial Lamb of God. One of the great questions of the Old Testament is found in Genesis 22. When Isaac asked on his way to Mount Moriah, where is the lamb? And the answer from Abraham was just as awesome when he responded to Isaac, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And now we have echoes of the words of Abraham from the mouth of John the Baptist. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There was a time when Charles Spurgeon was set to preach at a place in London he had never spoke at before. So he went with a friend to try the acoustics of the building the evening before he was to speak. No microphones, no amplification systems. In that day, it was all about acoustics and the ability to project your voice. Spurgeon went to the pulpit, having his friend move around the rear of the building to listen. And the great preacher shouted the words, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Over and over again, he proclaimed these words. What they never noticed was that a worker was up on the roof making repairs. The man heard Spurgeon proclaim this truth over and over again. The man left under the deep conviction of sin, just from the simple proclamation of the Word of God. He finished the repairs, went home, and received the Savior. This is the message a lost and dying world needs to hear. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In one profound but simple sentence, John the Baptist summed up the redemption message. Much the same message as 1 John 2, 2. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. The taking away of sin refers to the wiping away of sin. God pardoning men and women through the forgiveness and reconciliation that comes as a result of the sacrifice of the Lamb. 
John the Baptist's statement points us to the substitutionary atonement, the universal offer of salvation, and the forgiveness of sins, all which form the heart and core of the gospel of Christ. Remember back in verse 23, John the Baptist quoted the prophecy from Isaiah 40, demonstrating that John had a solid grasp of the prophecies of Isaiah. It makes me think that he must have known the prophecies of Isaiah 53, which foretold of the Christ. Remember verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. As you look again at verse 30 in our text, we note again that John the Baptist was looking back to the words he had proclaimed before. John the Baptist said, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Same idea as back in verse 15, once again making known the preeminence of Christ. John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. Jesus showed up as a baby on the stage of history after John. But John testified of the pre-existence of Christ. Move down to verse 31. This gets my attention. Think of what John the Baptist was saying. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. Even though he had been called by God to announce the coming Messiah to Israel, John didn't know who he was. I did not know him, John testifies. Remember, John the Baptist and Jesus were second cousins. So John is actually telling us that he did not know that his own second cousin was the Messiah until Jesus was baptized in the desert. All that John the Baptist knew was that the Messiah would be revealed to Israel, and therefore his role was to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. John accepted by faith his mission of calling the nation to repentance in baptizing men and women in the Jordan River. Let's grab the next section of text, starting with verse 32. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained on him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The baptism of Jesus took place roughly six weeks before the events of John chapter 1. It had been made known to John the Baptist that he would recognize the Messiah by seeing the Holy Spirit descend on him and remain on him. Notice two times in these verses, in verse 32 and in verse 33. The sign was the Spirit of God would not just come upon the Messiah, but the Spirit of God would remain on him. The wording means that the Spirit of God descended like the flutter of a dove. Remember, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon a person to enlighten them or to empower them. The Holy Spirit would come and go, but the point here in our text is that God had made it known to John that when the Spirit came upon the Messiah and remained, this one was the long-awaited Lamb of God. When the Spirit remained on Jesus of Nazareth, John the Baptist knew that this was the one. Do you remember the words prophesied by Isaiah? Chapter 11 predicted the Messiah, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The gospel of Matthew tells us that when Christ was baptized, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
A very real part of the baptism of Christ was to demonstrate the acceptance by God the Son of the will of the Father, and to demonstrate the approval of the Father for the Son. Notice this careful description of Christ tucked onto the end of verse 33. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Certainly this points us to the events of Acts chapter 2, when the church of Christ was baptized by the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost. The baptism of the Spirit is when the Holy Spirit of God takes the new believer in Christ and makes him a part of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is one of the most important verses in the New Testament on this subject. It should clear up a lot of confusion. Listen to those words again. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. Every believer in Christ in the church age has been baptized by the Spirit of God. Some teach the baptism of the Spirit is a second work of grace, but the inspired words recorded by Paul guide us, letting us know that it is not about a second work of grace that is only for some believers in Christ. Every child of God is baptized by the Spirit of God and is brought into the body of Christ. This is the baptism of the Spirit that John the Baptist testified of in verse 33. Notice again in verse 34, the bold testimony of John the Baptist, and I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The Jews were looking for a king. They wanted someone to break the power of Rome and build a kingdom ruled from Jerusalem. But Jesus came the first time as a redeemer, not to just set people free from Rome, but to set them free from the enslavement of sin. John the Baptist believed that Jesus is the Son of God. Recognize the prophetic significance here in the title, Son of God. John identified Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. The text shifts, starting with verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Remind yourself that the apostle John is thinking back to his younger years, reflecting back to when he first followed Christ. The Apostle John starts verse 35 by once again saying, the next day. This would be the third day in a series of days shortly before the Passover. Remember on the first day, we had the delegation, the representatives from the Sanhedrin, questioning and challenging John the Baptist. On the second day, we have the declaration from John the Baptist proclaiming that Jesus is both the Lamb of God and the Son of God. But now on this third day, we have a decision. Two of John the Baptist's followers leave him in order to become followers of Jesus. As far as we know, this could have been the last time that John the Baptist ever saw Jesus on earth. But all it took was for John the Baptist to say, Behold, the Lamb of God and these two disciples follow Jesus. They follow Jesus based on the simple truth that he is the Lamb of God which pointed to his death and atoning sacrifice. John knew that by proclaiming, Behold, the Lamb of God, that his own ministry would decrease, that his followers would leave him to follow the Christ. But this is one of the things that made John the Baptist so great. This is part of what made him such an effective witness for the Lord, his own willingness to put Christ first. We see quite the opposite today, where many men want to build up a crowd, a gathering for themselves by any means necessary. But not so with this great man of God. John the Baptist had no interest in making a name for himself. He wanted one thing. He wanted men to follow Christ. 
a little further into the Gospel of John, we learn more about this in chapter 3. Skip ahead, if you would, to chapter 3. John was still baptizing and had not been thrown into prison just yet, and many of you know these verses. Starting in verse 25 of John chapter 3, we read, Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. For you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Notice these next statements. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. John's joy was because he heard the voice of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. His joy was in being faithful to the role that God had for him all the way to the end. Now, I want you to stop and think about this for a moment. Back in John chapter 1, imagine that you have left your home to follow this strange man, John the Baptist. You have to imagine that this is something that your family and friends may not understand. Maybe they even tease you about it. Maybe they make fun of you. You can imagine some of the conversations. Look at this man. He doesn't even dress right. He wears clothes made of camel's hair. You've made the commitment to follow the teaching of this guy because you truly feel he is from the Lord. But then one day he points at a man and says, you know what I've been telling you all along about how God was sending someone whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. See that guy? That's him. Follow him. That takes faith, trust, because the disciples did not really know all that much about Jesus. But yet they left John the Baptist and followed Jesus. We know from verse 40 that one of the two men who heard John the Baptist speak and proclaim that Jesus is the Lamb of God was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. The other disciple is not named, but there can be little doubt that it was John himself, the man that the Spirit of God inspired to write this gospel. The Apostle John never names himself except in the book of Revelation, but this narrative bears the mark of one who is there. This narrative bears the mark of a person who held on to every small detail that still lived in his memory. From this time on in the gospel, John is now speaking as an eyewitness, but he continues to withhold his name. Take a look at what happens next, starting in verse 38. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. The Lord knew that Andrew and John were following him, and so he said to them, what do you seek? These are the first direct recorded words of Christ in this gospel. But what a great question. What is it that you seek? This is a question that should be asked for every one of us. What is it that we truly seek by following Christ? I would tend to think as Andrew and John were contemplating what John the Baptist had said about Jesus, there had to have been a sense of awe as they realized they were following the Christ. 
Verses 40 and 41 make it clear they understood what John the Baptist was saying about Jesus. They understood this was the Messiah. And by referring to Jesus as rabbi or teacher, they indicated with this one word that they were willing to learn. Addressing Jesus as rabbi, it was a demonstration of their great respect for him. And think of what they said to Christ. Rabbi, where are you staying? I get the impression that John and Andrew had a lot of questions. They knew they needed more time with Jesus. They had every intention of becoming his disciples. They remained with Jesus that day. This was such an important moment in John's life that John remembered the time that this took place. He remembered the time of day it was when he had gone from following John the Baptist to following Jesus the Christ. It was about the 10th hour, 4 p.m. if this is in Hebrew time, or 10 a.m. if this is in Roman time. They spent the day with Jesus and left determined to waste no time in bringing others to Christ. David Livingstone, if you have never read about him, you need to put his life story on your list of books to read. A doctor and a pioneer in missions in the 1800s, helping to open the heart of Africa to missions. His travels covered one-third of the continent of Africa, all the way from Cape Town in the south to up by the equator, from the Atlantic Ocean on one side of Africa to the Indian Ocean on the other. Listen to what he had to say about his 33 years in Africa, tormented by disease, theft, attack from natives, attack from soldiers, loss of his wife, loss of his possessions and supplies several times. 33 years of suffering for the sake of spreading the gospel throughout Africa. His words. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice which is simply acknowledging a great debt we owe to our God, which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own reward in healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny? It is emphatically no sacrifice. Rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger, foregoing the common conveniences of this life, these may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink, but let this only be for a moment. All these things are nothing compared with the glory which shall later be revealed in and through us. I never made a sacrifice. Of this, we ought not to talk. When we remember the great sacrifice which he made, who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. We need more men today like this. We need more Christians with this mindset. It was our sin that gave weight to the crown of thorns as they penetrated our Savior's head. It was our sin that drove the soldier's sword into the side of our Lord. It was our sin that was wrapped up as pieces of metal in the whip that drew blood on our Savior's back. And it was my sin that drove the nails into both his hands and his feet. In all of that pain and humiliation, and in the final breaths of life, the Lamb of God cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Lamb of God, our Passover. It is through the sacrificial blood of the Lamb of God that our sins are washed away. Many of us have already found redemption in Him, but the question the Lord Jesus first asked Andrew and John still remains. What is it that you seek by following Christ? 
This is one of the most important questions that a follower of Christ must answer. What is it that you want out of life? Be honest, both with yourself and with Christ. Jesus would go on to say, he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus would teach that where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where is your heart, Christian? Is it with Christ? The message of the cross for believers is to die to self and to live for the glory of God. Find the life Christ intends for you by living for the coming kingdom of God. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word 